Today we come to the final of our series of sermons on the book of Ephesians. And I couldn't think of a better way to lead into these last verses in chapter 6, verse 10 and 24 than celebrating together around the Lord's Supper. Um, Our passage today really reflects um, the very sense of that first um, Lord's Supper. You see, the Lord Jesus had spent three years with his followers. He'd called them to follow him and he introduced them to God in a way that they didn't understand. And I know it was a growing understanding, but like in John's Gospel, um, Jesus said, no one has ever seen God but the only one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And so we have this group of disciples who have followed with Jesus. Um, They've got to know God. Um, More than that, Jesus was building a community of followers. And his disciples um, came together and they learnt together, they ate together, they served in God's mission together. But if the experience had only been about getting to know God and building a community to one another, then the great mission of God would never have been accomplished. You know, Jesus tried to prepare them, even the upper room, and told them that they would be called um, to um, conflict and strife because of their relationship with him. And in their human strength, um, Peter said, look, I would never fall away. I will never do that. But they had to go out into the Garden of Gethsemane and there was a great spiritual battle going on. A battle that they couldn't cope with in their human strength. But God was going to use them dramatically to do his mission on earth. And you know, God continues Jesus' ministry through his followers. And so we might not be the first disciples, but we continue in a long line of followers of Jesus who he uses in the battlefield of this world, the spiritual battle that goes on. So I just want to go through these last um, verses in the book of Ephesians. And, um, and I've called my message this morning into the battle um, because this is what this is talking about. So let's start with um, the first verse, verse 10. And it says this, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I want us just to stop at the first word, finally. Um, Some of the older translations use an old English word there. It was henceforth. And you might think, what does that mean? Well, it means that all that's gone before, the five and a half chapters of um, Ephesians that we've studied and looked at, um, is not an end in itself, but going forward from there is the last few verses that we're looking at. And so there is a spiritual battle that goes on this world between the Lord Jesus' first coming and his second coming that you and I are caught up in. It's a battle for souls. It's a battle for God to be established as king over the human race. And the finally makes us stop and think back to what are the foundations that have been laid. 
And I want to suggest to you that all that we've looked at in Ephesians has laid the foundation to prepare us to step out, just like those disciples who went into the Garden of Gethsemane and what was to follow, to step out and to be in that battle. Um, The first one was this, um, that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and to us to reassure us of our relationship with Christ. And this is foundational and important when we think about the battle that we're called to. Um, One of the key terms in the book of Ephesians is what it means to be in Christ. In the beginning of the book of Ephesians, Paul made it clear just how wonderfully we were called to God to be his sons and daughters, adopted into his family. Um, Ephesians 1.13 says that we were included in Christ when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You know, the first thing is to talk about the security and the assurance that we have that our relationship with God is something that is special and secure. And the second thing that the book of Ephesians teaches us is that not only is it our relationship with God that is special, but as brothers and sisters in God's family and kingdom, our relationship with one another is important. And it talks so much about how we should live together in love and in unity. Um, We're part of God's family. We need each other. It's not just me and God and I don't care about anybody else. God always had a plan that he would have a body on earth that would do his mission and ministry, and that was the church. And so we read in John 13, 34 and 35, um, this is Jesus preparing the disciples, and he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, and so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so we've been, in the last eight messages that we've had in the book of Ephesians, we've been digging into and understanding our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. But the temptation is, isn't it, that we'll stop there and we'll just be a nice group of people who love God and love one another and let's put up some boundaries and some, um, some bunker in so that nothing will disturb our peace and our happiness with God. You know, the disciples, if they really understood what was happening at that last supper, imagine if they locked the door and said to Jesus, you can't go out of that door because what faces you is um, your death. Um, What faces you is the opposition and the battle that you go into. And Jesus never underestimated the battle. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to, to God his Father and said, look, if this cup can pass by me, let it pass by but not my will, but your will be done. And the book of Ephesians, we read that we were once darkness, but we're now light in the Lord. But we are to live as light in this world that we're in. And so this morning, we're really going to look at this passage in terms of the call that it has to us to be part of the battle that God has called us to. You know, you have some funny thoughts as you get older and um, my dad, who passed away when I was 14, I was just thinking this week about one of the stories he told me when I was a child. Um, I've also just been reading a a history book 
a thousand years of British kings and queens. Um, that sounds boring, doesn't it? I just read it in the spare moments, but it's fascinating. You know, they talk about the United Kingdom, but I tell you what, over that thousand years, there was lots of times that it wasn't united because they used to have wars against each other. The Welsh and the Scottish and the Irish and the English were always fighting. And it made sense to me of this story that my dad used to tell me. He said this, he said, um, one day there was a, an English captain with a hundred soldiers who were riding their horses and marching to go and fight the Welsh. And they came into one of the Welsh valleys and it was covered with fog. And this is the scariest part of my sermon because I can't do a Welsh accent, but you just imagine this, forgive me for my um, poor Welsh. They heard a voice come out of the fog and it said, one Welshman is worth two Englishmen. And the captain said, how arrogant is that? You two go in there, wipe him out and fix it up. And so the two soldiers march in and there's clash and bang. And then they think, oh, that must have fixed him. But they heard the same voice. One Welshman is worth ten Englishmen. And so he put ten of his fighters in and they went into the battle and there was a great battle going on. And then there was silence again. One Welshman is worth 20 Englishmen. So 20 of them go in and there's a huge fracker going on as they fight. And then it goes quiet. One Welshman's worth 50 Englishmen. Captain's starting to get nervous, counts up how many soldiers he's got and he gets his whole group of men and they start to march towards the fog. And just as they were to go in, a hand of one of his soldiers reaches out of the fog and grabs the captain's horse's hoof and says, Captain, don't go in. It's an ambush. There are two Welshmen in there. <laughs> um, I told you that story because I want to talk about how do we prepare for the battle that we're called to. And I think there are three things, and in here we see Paul answers these. And the first thing that we need to think about when we prepare for battle is to know who is our opposition. Would that English captain have done something differently if he'd known that he was fighting two Welshmen instead of one? I don't know. But if you're in a battle, you need to know who is your opposition. We also need to know what are our resources and our strengths as we go into the battle. And we need to know how it is that we're going to keep up our courage and our unity and our purpose. And I think that the next number of verses in this final passage of Ephesians answers these questions for the Christian battle. The first one it says is know your enemy. You know, one of the factors that has weakened the church has been a, un a, a non-understanding or even an underestimating the spiritual enemy that we face. Especially in Western culture, there's been a rejection generally about the idea of a personal devil who is the source of evil in the world. You know, in the 1900s, at the turn of the century, in the early 1900s, um, with both the Industrial Revolution and the increase in the welfare of people and the advent of education, people were actually believing that this world was going to be solving all its problems and be a, peace, a place of peace and prosperity. 
Um, even some of the theologians in the time um, started to think instead of seeing God coming and making the world right and establishing a new kingdom, they thought, no, really what's going to happen is we're going to work really hard and have a new kingdom here. And they talked about amillennialism, that is, we're already God's building his kingdom and there's going to be a time where there will be no more evil, no more trouble, no more problems. The problem was that in the early 1900s, in 1914 was the First World War. That was the war to end all wars. And there was a huge outspilling of loss and evil. Um, there was the Depression, um, where there was so much pain and hurt. After the war to end all, world, all wars, there was the Second World War. And all of a sudden, people realised that we're not going to solve the problems of evil and sin in the world through our own resources. The problem with that sort of view is it doesn't acknowledge what the true cause of evil in the world is. And it stops us from trying to recognise who the true enemy is. As unpopular as it might seem in the general society, um, you cannot read the Bible without seeing that the devil is a real person who's at work trying to undermine God's work in this world to reach out to people. And so in our readings of Ephesians chapter 6, um, we see from verse 11 here, it says this, Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, sometimes we talk about the walls of the devil. Not only is the devil real, but he is actively seeking to undermine and oppose God's plans in this world. Paul continues to talk about this enemy. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. The battle that we're called to is not a human battle. It's a spiritual battle and therefore we can't fight it with our human abilities and our human effort. Um, it's a battle in which we actually need our God to be within us and working through us. And yet it's still a battle that God calls us to. And so what is Paul saying here in Ephesians? He says in verse 13, Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. God calls us to be in this battle. Um, you might wonder, like some of the early church people, why this battle has gone for so long. And that was a question that they asked St Peter. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he said this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the enemy is at work, but so is the souls of men and women, boys and girls, to come into that relationship with God. Like in the book of Ephesians, to be adopted into God's family, to be part of God's body in this world. So knowing the enemy is the first thing that Paul is trying to say there. The second thing is this. Um, what are the resources or the equipment that God provides for us in this battle that we're called to? 
And here I think you could see Paul who is under arrest and has been in the custody of the Roman soldiers for a long period of time. He draws the image that he wants from what he sees around about him. He takes what's normal in his lifestyle and that is soldiers of the Roman Empire. And so he takes this picture of the armour that the soldiers were wearing and suggests that they too need to put on the armour of God. Um, He would see them every day in his cell. And so he writes this, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So God doesn't just call us into the battle, but he equips us. And we are told that we should put on this full armour. What, what is this armour that God provides us? Well, firstly, there's the belt of truth. You might be thinking there, um, a belt, how is that part of the armour? Well, for the Roman soldier, the belt was a very important part of the equipment. Because of the togas and the clothes that they wore that were a a flowing type of nature, the belt actually tied them all up so that they would not get in their way or distract them in the midst of the battle. Um, They could hang some of their weapons like their sword on it as well. And so the belt of truth is this. It is that God wants us to know the truth so that we won't be distracted by all the other stories and things that we hear. Um, The belt of truth, um, as it's described in the book of Ephesians and in Scripture, helps us to know what is true and what is just a discouragement or an untruth or a misunderstanding. Um, This is a very big issue in places of war, isn't it? At the moment, sadly, we we read in our papers all the time about battles in places like Ukraine and um, in the Middle East. And um, they they keep saying at the bottom, um, we're not sure what the truth is because each side provides misinformation. And so you read something and you think, well, if that's true, if that's true, but different sides provide different things. It's the same for us as we follow God. God provides us his truth, but the devil is always trying to distort that, to change that, to distract us from what God calls us to. Um, I know it's a, a bad thing to change my metaphor in midstream, but I couldn't help but reflect on Hebrews 12, which is a, a picture of a runner rather than a soldier, but he says this, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We need the belt of truth to do that. And then the second thing he talks about is this breastplate of righteousness. Now, I did read one or two places where they talked about the breastplate being on the front of the body and protecting the vital organs. And I don't know if I really agree with this, but they said, therefore, it must be something you wear moving forward. But then I read somewhere else that said some of the breastplates covered your back as well. But the idea of the breastplate is to protect the vital organs of the soldier. And in the Christian sense, when it talks about the breastplate of righteousness, our righteousness is meant to protect us from the attacks 
of the evil one. There's two ways to think about righteousness and I think there's an element of both here. First of all, in ourself, we are not righteous. The book of Ephesians told us that, didn't it? By grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, lest we should boast. And so God provides us with his righteousness because of our faith in him. Um, Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet there is a sense in which the righteousness that we get because of our faith in God then is to work out in our lives so that we live righteously and that in itself also provides a protection as we live in this world that we're in. You know, Romans 12 says, if it's possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to get it right. But how we live our life, the good works that God has prepared for us to do, will be a testimony to the truth of his message. And we all know the damage in the church where people preach one thing and their life lives out something else. It's actually the weakness in the church, isn't it? There are people in the community who say, I wouldn't follow Jesus because I heard of some TV evangelist or preacher who, whose life did not live out the truth of what he's saying. Paul reminds us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Talks about the shoes of readiness for the gospel, from the gospel of peace. One of the amazing things about the Roman world was that they built all these roads. The reason they had a mighty army was that they could move very quickly from one trouble spot to another. What they wore on their feet was really important. And Paul is saying here that we, in God's family, um, our things on our feet is the gospel of peace, the message, the message that God has given us to take into a world. Jesus' last word to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he talks about a shield of faith. And the shield of faith in that Roman time, you probably look at the pictures and you'll see there's two different sorts of shield. There's those little funny round ones that they hold, you know, the light ones, the, the round ones, and then there's these big oblong type of shields. And the words in the, um, in the original language actually tell us what sort of shield they're talking about. And this shield of faith is one of these long, oblong ones that they hold up, covered with leather probably, and the idea was that when the enemy would get their darts, they would dip them into pitch, they would set them on fire, and they would shoot these arrows at the soldiers. The soldiers would put up their big shields, the, the arrows would go into them, and the leather would act like putting out those fires. And Paul is saying, we have a shield of faith, that our faith in God will protect us from the fiery darts of the devil. And what are these darts that have come against us? Well, sometimes they're the, the words of people, people who say things about us. Sometimes it is um, condemnation from the evil one of um, impurity and failure in our life. Sometimes it's um, self selfishness, doubt, fear, um, disappointment, all of those things can be taken by the devil to discourage us from standing firm for what God has called us to. But we need to put on the shield of faith so that we can continue to walk with God. Next one talks about the helmet of salvation. And a helmet, of course, protects another vital organ, the brain and the head. 
And here it's talking about our salvation. It's because we are made right with God that we can have the confidence as we go out and we are in the battle sharing with God. That cannot be taken away by the evil one. He does not have the power to do that. And that talks about the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit um, is not only a defensive weapon, but it's an attacking weapon. And here we've read that it is actually the Word of God. Um, God has given us his word so that we can um, use that as we continue to stand firm for him. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So we've talked about knowing the enemy and we've talked about what is the resources that God has given us. But I think there's a third point here too and that is how do we maintain our passion, our courage, our unity, our purpose to stand firm for God? And here we read in our next verses, and in very simple terms, I'd say it's saying, pray about everything. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And so the third thing here Paul is saying is that we need to be a people of prayer. Prayer is not just a weapon. Prayer is actually how we communicate and stay close with God. Prayer is not just for our needs, but we're praying for everybody in every way so that God will be at work and the battle will be won. And then the passage finishes with um, what we might just think of as being some greetings and some, some comments, um, but from verse 21 on it reminds us that even the readers of this book, as though they are like us, part of God's church, um, God's movement and God's army, if you want, God's people are a much greater movement than that. And so he's reminding them that they are just a part of what God is doing. Verse 21 says, Tychus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may know how I am and who I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with undying love. And so we know that we are in a spiritual battle. We know that God has given us the things that we need to serve him and to be faithful in that battle. But sometimes I wonder about whether we lose that sense of the passion of serving him and going forward. And maybe that's part of what God is saying to us today, to just go back and to realise that we too are called to make our stand. When I was in my early 20s, um, I spent six weeks of a, a school summer holiday. I was a young school teacher over in England. Um, some of you may know I was born there, very little when I came out. And so I spent six weeks living with various relatives and visiting various people over there. Um, one of those weeks I got to spend in London. And um, I'm a mad soccer fan, really. Not mad, that's not the right. I, I love soccer. You know, rugby and all that's okay, but I love soccer. And the thing I wanted to do more than anything else was to go to a big football match over there. 
And so one of my relatives who I was staying with knew, had some connections, and so he arranged a ticket for me to go with some other people to a game which was by a team called Tottenham Hotspur, and they were playing Queen's Park Rangers in the FA Cup. Sorry for those who need a translation. Two well-known teams playing each other. And this was really exciting for me to go there. But the journey there is what I want us to reflect on for a minute. You see, in England, if you're ever in London, you don't want to drive in the centre of London. The traffic is horrendous. Everybody gets in the subway, comes up out of these holes in the ground, and you walk. That's what you do. And so I went with these people and we walked up and we came out a number of blocks away from White Hart Lane, which is the, the, um, the stadium that they played in in those days. And we came out and as you came out, it was just like a busy streetscape. You know, there are people going here and there, there were shops that were open and there are people walking up and down the street. Even on the train, I noticed there are a few people wearing their armour, no, not armour, their white shirts, the, the Tottenham Hotspur shirts and... Um, I'll tell you what, some of the things that happen over there, you do need body armour as well, but that's a different story. Um, but they, as they came up, we came up, we started walking. But this was the thing that dawned on me. As we walked closer to the stadium, I started to notice that there was far fewer people walking away than those who were walking in the same direction as me. As we walked a little bit further, it was like people were feeding in from all the side streets and before long the police had barricaded off the road and the road was full of people, many of whom wore white shirts, and they were marching down the road to the stadium to watch this game. You might say, well, what about the other team? Well, in England they're very smart. The other team come in from the opposite side of the stadium, never the two shall mix. So I'm walking down and all of a sudden I feel like I'm in this army of people supporting Tottenham Hotspurs to go into this battle to see whether they could survive in the FA Cup. And even the game was amazing because you've got a crowded um, stadium full of people. There's just so much energy and the, um, what the Tottenham Hotspurs teams actually had a very, very good win and whatever. There's just some, something about it that catches the imagination, especially if you're a fan. And that's got very little to do with what I'm talking about except this. I wonder whether we should think about us being called to the spiritual battle a bit like that too. That, that we are marching and it might seem like we're doing our own thing and we're in the midst of the world. Um, we're in the midst of things that are going on. But as we work towards what God's calling us to, hopefully we start to see that there are others who are walking in the same direction. There are others who have the same allegiance. And that this army of people is going to come and into this battle and with God as our captain, we are going to move forward. I think that's what the book of Ephesians finishes with. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love one another, but also serve me. Be part of my family as we move forward. And so we're called to do that, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. Our allegiance with God. And so as we ask the, the musicians to come back and lead us in a song, I want you to think about this for a moment. Do you love God with all your heart? Do you love being part of God's family? Are we caring for one another?
That's good. But are we prepared to make a stand for the God in whatever situation, whatever context that he places us in? And that's what this song is going to do. It's going to talk to us about the stand. And there's a part in the song that talks about um, with arms raised and heart abandoned, we're going to stand with God. Um, it's great to be with everybody, but maybe before God, he needs to hear you say that to him as well. So we will be together, but there's a chance for you just to communicate to God as well.